0: Alright, so, as we get ready to dive in, I invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to continue uh, to build on what P.T. started with last week with what he calls the talk on the hill, or the sermon on the mount, specifically with the Beatitudes. Now, uh, P.T. gave uh, his overview of the sermon on the mount, and there's a lot to unpack there. there. There's a whole lot to dive into and pick apart, but today we're going to focus on the very first one. So, Matthew 5.3 says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Now, that one phrase is a lot. There's so much in there, and there's so much that we can uh, misunderstand with the phrase poor in spirit. And what does it mean that you're even blessed in the first place if you're poor? Because we all have conceptions with the word poor, don't we? I mean, when when you hear the word poor, your mind can go a number of directions. But before we break down poor, I actually want to talk about another word because it's going to play a lot into being blessed and where we go with this. So, happiness. Happiness is a word that you don't see it in this verse, but it does come into play a little bit with what we're going to talk about. So we can all resonate with the word happiness, right? I mean, everyone here can, can pinpoint, I think, a moment in their life where they felt happy. Whether it was a Christmas or a birthday, or you got to visit a friend or a loved one, or uh, you're a Dodgers fan. <laughs> You've resonated with happiness this past week, right? We all have, we all understand happiness. You know, it's actually defined as a feeling of showing pleasure or contentment. But, but here's the key with happiness. Happiness is a temporary feeling. Happiness is temporary. It comes and it goes. It's dependent on that situation. It's dependent on that moment around you. And it's usually something that doesn't last for an extremely long time. When the day goes or the object goes or the next season in sports starts or you get discontent or just kind of over maybe that gift, if it was you know, a trinket or something you were excited for, it just kind of fades over time. Now, for example, for some odd reason, I feel like a failure as a dad for this. My daughter loves McDonald's. This, this is mind-boggling to me. Like, we'll give her a choice. Hey, let's go get Chick-fil-A, In-N-Out. She's like, McDonald's. I'm like, why? I, I don't get it. And she talks about how they're delicious, and I tell her it gives me mixed stomach aches, and she doesn't understand. But she loves McDonald's, and I know part of it is when she gets a Happy Meal, she gets a little toy. And it is the cheapest little trinket, like, wow, you're excited for this little toy. Of everything you have, this is the toy that is now, this is the moment in your life that you're, like, today I get the McDonald's toy. And she eats her meal, and she plays with that toy, and she's happy, and of course I'm happy that my daughter's happy. I don't understand the happiness with this food, but I I get that she liked the toy, but she loves it, and she plays with it, but sure enough, it doesn't last forever. As a matter of fact, we had a, a pile of McDonald's toys eventually that we started to get rid of. She has no idea. Or if she does, she didn't tell us, I and mean, she just doesn't care about those toys anymore. It was a temporary happiness. It's important to remember that when we go through Scripture today, we're going to talk about happiness and how it's temporary, but ultimately being blessed and getting a blessing from God is a joy, and we're going to talk about how those are two very different feelings in this passage. Another word, like I mentioned, is poor. Now, this word is thrown around in society a lot, and I know we all automatically go somewhere in our minds when we hear the word poor. Now, the dictionary actually has a few different definitions for poor. So poor, one, it says, is lacking sufficient money to live at a standard considered comfortable or normal in a society. The second one, it says, is worse than is usual, expected, or desirable of a low or inferior standard or quality. And the third, it says, a person considered to be deserving of sympathy or pity. Now, wherever your mind went with this definition, none of them are wrong because I'm sure you all probably thought one of those three definitions when it came to poor. Now... Some of you maybe immediately went to the financial status one. You know, I said, you know, poor. And you thought, oh man, that means, you know, someone that doesn't have a lot. Maybe they're, they're hurting for money or resources. Uh, maybe it's a lack of a roof over your head, a lack of food. Or maybe you've gone to the Mexico missions trip, one of my favorite trips of the year. And when you go across the border, you start to experience, wow, this is poor. The people here are living in poverty. They are just poor. Maybe you grew up on welfare. And you knew growing up I was poor. It's something that, that strikes an emotional connection with you because of the physical or lack of physical material possessions that you had growing up. Or maybe, maybe you did go right to the, the feelings with it and you thought, oh, poor. And you think of, um, oh, that, that poor man, there's no way he ever should have gone through that. Or this, this poor woman, oh, that's, that's so sad that she's going through that because it's a very real thing to have empathy and sympathy towards someone when something tragic happens. You think that's, that's poor. That's poor luck. That's just poor for that person, that poor soul. And maybe you really dive into there. Or maybe, like I said, you're a sports fan, and you're a, Do- you're a Giants fan like me, and you thought that was the poorest outcome ever for a baseball season. Or you're a Dodgers fan, and you're just laughing at my misery right now. But it's okay. You're thinking, poor Dustin. He has nothing to celebrate with sports. But, or, or maybe, maybe this is you. You're going to go home today, and you're going to say, those poor Seahawks have no idea what's going to hit them. Or it'll be the opposite. You say, those poor Niners had no idea (laughs) that those Seahawks were coming to play. None of these are wrong. None of these are wrong when you think of the word poor, right? But when we look at this passage, blessed are the poor in spirit, we're going to see that the poor that is used in Scripture is really not these definitions of poor. It's going to go a very different way, but a very cool way in how we can apply it into our lives. Especially in the meaning of the Beatitudes, we're going to see that, that God takes us on an incredible path to ultimate joy, something that the world can never take away, something that material possessions and wealth cannot take away. Even though when you read the line, blessed are the poor in spirit, it can almost sound depressing at first glance. So it begin, the series on the Mount begins with a series of statements, each starting with the phrase, God blesses those who, or blessed are the, then you get to fill in the blank with the next set of verses. But you put these all together, and we have the Beatitudes. They, they serve as the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, and they're essential for understanding the point in God's heart behind the rest of the sermon. Now, since we're going to hear the word blessed a lot, I thought we should, we should ask the first question here. So what does it even mean to be blessed? If we're going to understand blessed are those, what does it mean to be Blessed. How does this play into our lives? When you hear, blessed are the poor, what is the Bible even saying about that? If we don't understand that, we're going to take a lot of these scriptures out of context, and it's not going to make a whole lot of sense. So, and I don't want us to miss some incredible applications that we can pull from the Beatitudes, especially this one today. Now, some people, I've actually heard some people say, well, you can translate the word blessed into happy. Happy Happier the poor, for they inherit the kingdom of God. Happier those who mourn. And, And the more I thought about that, I thought, no... Well, I wasn't really quite sold on that because happiness is really dependent on that situation. And, and that would be fleeting. And I, I don't think a blessing from God is, is something that's going to be a fleeting or, or a temporary moment in your life. In that moment, I think it's something that God is really going to pour through throughout your life when you trust him with it. He's really going to pour out his blessing on you. So I, I wasn't too too fond of the word happiness in here because I don't think blessedness from God is dependent on your situation. I think it's a true joy no matter what your situation is. Romans fifteen thirteen says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I love that. It doesn't say, may the God of hope fill you with happiness. No, he he goes right to the deep joy. May the God of hope fill you with joy. You see, when when it says that God blesses us, it's really saying that God is giving us his approval of this situation. You see, he loves us because we're his kids, right? And there can be no greater blessing than to be approved by God himself. I know that when I tell Aurora or Avery, my girls, like, you know, I'm happy with what they've done or they do something great. And it's something just out of the blue, like, you know, cleaning their room. It's rare, but sometimes it happens out of the blue. Um, Avery decided not that long ago, she said, Daddy, I'm going to do a surprise for you. Close the door, and and I'll tell you when I'm ready. It's like, okay. I heard chaos happening in the room, and I was like, this is going to be a disaster. I don't know if she just watched Looney Tunes and saw the Tasmanian Devil going nuts, but this is going to be a disaster. I opened the door. She goes, I'm ready. And for her standards, she had cleaned But she was so excited to show me how she had cleaned in a short time. Look how fast I did that. a lot of stuff was thrown in the closet and thrown on her bed. But the floor was, you know, clean. In her mind, she had did it. But I got to look at her and look at her eyes and say, Avery, I am so proud of you. And the smile she gave me back was one I'll never forget because that was a genuine joy that she had just received from her dad. And I know God wants to give us, he gives us that same approval in scripture, and that's joy. It's not just a moment of happiness, and every now and then Avery will still say, I want to do it again. Like, I want to clean fast again because she saw it wasn't just that I made dad happy. She saw the approval that I gave her when she did it, and it made her want to do it again. Now... And the truth is, I said, when God blesses us, we're getting God's approval. And this is something that should make us happy, right? We should rejoice in those moments when we know we got God's approval. But being blessed by God, I believe, goes so much deeper than just a mere feeling of happiness. I think God's approval should bring us confidence to face the day. God's approval should give us confidence to know that we're not living life alone. Give us confidence to know that we have the reassurance that even when it feels like quarantine is never going to end, it feels like the world is never going to go back to normal, no matter what the world throws at us, we have God who has not turned his back on us, and he never will. And that brings me more joy than happiness ever could. Now, each beatitude tells us a characteristic that lines up with God's blessing. And the first beatitude, I'll read it again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And there's that daunting word again, right? Poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So what is poor in this context? It, it, it doesn't look like a material poor, right? It doesn't look like you can put a monetary value on your, your, your poorness to be blessed by God, because your spirit is not a material thing. Now, theologians have debated for years how best to understand this, and the New Living Translation says it this way. It says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. I read that, and I was like, I like this. It kind of makes it a little more clear. But um, other translations will say, God blesses poor in spirit, which is close to what the original says. And Luke even, uh, he says the same thing, but he cuts out a lot of the context behind it. Luke gets right to the point, and he says, God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. And again, that causes people to think, oh man, I've just got to live in poverty for my life and then God will bless me. But I, I think that misses the point of the being poor in spirit here. Um, I think that misses the point because I've seen God do amazing things with both people of poor economic status and people that have been, they have an amazing amount of resources. I've seen people that say they have nothing change lives and give what they didn't even they weren't even able to give and I've seen God work wonders in those households and on the flip side I've seen people that have resources like crazy but they get to, they give and they love to give and I see God totally work in their lives and through their resources people are blessed and God continues to give them resources because they're blessing others so I've seen both sides of that so I, I think this is not a financial thing God is saying He's not saying you have to be broke to get my blessing. And the other definition we talked about was feeling of sorrow or, or emotional pain or anguish. And I think that that's, it's more along the lines of the right track, but it's still not quite it. It's not in the sense of feeling a sorrow or pity, like uh, watching the Niners lose a Super Bowl this last year, right? That was, man, down in the dumps for the evening. But uh, it goes deeper than this. This word poor goes deeper than that. And I think, so a couple, th- couple things we need to understand. Understanding blessed are the poor. Understand these two things. Poor in spirit is not a material poor. Poor in spirit is not a material poor. And secondly, poor in spirit is not a depressed or pitiful feeling. It's neither of those things. And I think when we understand that, we can then start to understand a little bit more about what being poor in spirit means. The right way to understand this passage, I think, is when when he says the poor in spirit will be blessed. There's a translation uh, I found of a pastor that reworded this, and he said it this way. Blessed are those who realize they have nothing within themselves to commend them to God, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, now, when I read this, I was like, this, this makes sense. And the more I, the more I studied this feeling, this word of poor in Scripture, it, it more came down to the person who is poor in spirit. This is someone who recognizes that they don't deserve God's favor. There's nothing they've done, no accomplishment they've done, no task, no, no words they've said or done to prove that they deserve what God has given them. They've come to the point where they get to acknowledge the full faults of their sin. They acknowledge that this is my life. This is where I've messed up. This, This is where I have fallen short. But God loves me anyways. That's more along the lines of poor in spirit. See, there's the switch there. It takes the focus off of ourselves and our accomplishment. It takes pride out of the issue and ushers in a spirit of humility. So poor in spirit is coming to God with a humility, a spirit of humility, knowing that we are nothing without his love and his grace and his forgiveness. Jesus is saying that, that those who inherit the kingdom, they recognize they can't do it on their own. They recognize that it takes more than me. It takes more than my effort, more than my status to be with God. It takes Jesus to do that. And that's the acknowledgement that you have. Making sure it's not about you, it's about him. It understands with it, that we, we understand our place before God. You see, it's, it's easy to, to look at our lives and, and put ourselves on a platform, or look at our accomplishments. Right? Look where I came from. Look, look how I did this. I came from nothing. Now I have something. And you start putting yourself on a pedestal, but that's opposite of poor in spirit. That's opposite of what God is saying. You know, come, come to me, acknowledging your faults, not your successes. Acknowledge why I came in the first place. Get yourself to that. Get yourself to that point. You see, standing before God, anything less than perfection is not enough. But the problem with that is none of us are perfect, right? I mean, God says, if, if you, you know, you, you can't be a part of sin and a part of my kingdom, but, but we're not perfect and we all fall into sin. So God sets forth his perfect plan to make us right before his eyes. And that's through Jesus. It's nothing we've done. It's about what Jesus did. No person who believes that they are good enough should be pleased with the things they've done because that's not poor in spirit. That's pride. That's misunderstanding of the character of God and themselves. True poverty of the spirit begins with the understanding that we don't have anything material to offer God that gets us that grace. We don't have anything material to offer God that gains us his favor. We have our hearts and our failures, and when we acknowledge that those are broken without him, that's when he's like, I approve of this. You can't do it on your own, and that's why I'm here. So how do we become poor in spirit, though? It's not like you can just go home and go, all right, pride gone, I'm out. (laughs) It's not a switch you can normally flip, right? I mean, you see people that have had uh, major successes, whether it's pro athletes or financial people, you've seen shifts in their attitude, but it's it's a period of time when you start to see that play out in their lives, right? And it goes against everything society tells you. We don't live in a world that promotes a ton of humility and when it relates to success, right? The world says you should never admit defeat. It's funny, I actually have a student in my uh, youth ministry who never admits defeat, even when he's defeated. He'll tell you he'll beat you in anything, and you'll, you'll beat him, and he will say that he beat you, or he'll have a reason why. And I love this student dearly. He's, he's so fun to play with. And I actually tell people, this, this student does not lack confidence in anything. He, he came up to me once, and uh, he asked if I wanted to play chess with him. It's like, yeah, sure. He said, when was the last time you played chess, Dustin? I was like, oh, it's been years, honestly. He goes, but you know how to play? Said, yeah. When was the last time you played? He goes, that's been a while, but I know how to play. I'm going to kick your butt. I was like, okay, let's go. So we sat down, and throughout the course of the game, he took one pawn from me. And at the end of the game, I was like, I beat you, Bradley. And I said his name. I beat you, Bradley. And he goes, uh, he's out. I told him that I beat him, and he goes, he goes I'll beat you next time. You got lucky. <laughs> but that, that's the confidence that he has, and I love him for it. But um, all I'd say, he doesn't follow like this, because this is a different context, but, but I know I think of him when I say it, because he has so much confidence. But the world will tell you, don't admit defeat. You are never defeated. The world will tell you, you can do it on your own. You don't need anybody else. The world will tell you, self-confidence and self-assurance will get you through anything. So how do we get to a point where we see ourselves wholly independent on God if we're surrounded by people saying, you can't be defeated, do it by yourself, be confident, you'll get it all done? I think the more that I read through Scripture in this context, the more I see Jesus say the opposite things. You see, where the world says, don't admit defeat, Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Man, when you acknowledge this, it's an admission of your failure. It's an admission that, you know what, we've messed up. The Bible says we've all done it. We have all fallen short. The only one to come here and live life perfectly was God in the flesh, was Jesus. Everyone else fell short. So even though we have failed, though, luckily for us, this is not the end of the story. God sent forth his perfect plan to make sure that even though we can admit failure in this area, we could admit victory through him. When the world says you can do it on your own, be dependent, overcome, Jesus says this in John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way to the Father except through me. See, the truth is we can't do it alone. You can't get to heaven alone. You can't do this, this life on your own. God, Jesus says you've got to go through me. Without me, you're by yourself, and that's not going to get it done. And I love even in, in Scripture when Adam is by himself, God even says, I see, this is not good. He needs someone with him too. We need community, we need each other, but more than that, we need Jesus. He is the essential part of this plan, and a pretty major player when you understand becoming poor in spirit and approaching your life with humility, like it says in Matthew. And when the world says self-confidence can get you through, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He deals with humility. He deals with our reliance on him. He deals with what he has done and our acknowledgement. Like 2 Corinthians says, Paul talks about acknowledging a thorn in his flesh, the sin that is weighing him down. When we acknowledge that, that we have the thorn in our flesh, that we have the sin, that's when God says, I get to work with you and take that away. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And it's a matter of perspective when we try to compare, right? So when I came to Creekside a little over 10 years ago, I came to Creekside to work with with the children. Pastor Terry started teaching me golf. One of my first weeks here, he said, "I will not have a pastor on my staff that cannot swing a golf club." <laughs> I had never swung a golf club. I didn't know what I was doing. So we went out there, and it was bad. I was swinging the thing like a baseball bat. It was really really bad. I played baseball my entire life growing up. So when I when I got down with the golf club, I brought it up here, and my elbow immediately went up, and it was it was full on home run time. And I was I was just grasses flying everywhere. The ball was going behind me. It was bad. So Terry taught me a little bit how to play golf. Now, full disclosure, 10 years later, I'm still not a great golfer. I don't golf often. I mean, matter of fact, I'm not even a good golfer. Just total honestly, I'm not good. But I have a lot of fun out there. I have some decent shots. Um, I don't golf on a regular basis. People ask me, how much do you golf? I'd say, well, how often do we have the Creekside Golf Tournament? That's pretty much my, my golf story. Uh, you know. So twice a year at that point, when we were doing it. And, and I will tell you, if you ever want to be on a team that is going to have the most fun, be on my team. We are going to lose. But we will laugh so hard doing it, you will have so much fun. Our cheeks hurt, our sides hurt, and it wasn't from swinging. It was just from laughing and having a good time. I'm pretty bad, but I love to play. I have a blast when I do. But even when I'm having a good day, there are times when you go out there, golf is one of those sports that tricks you. You go out there and you're doing bad, and then all of a sudden you hit a shot and it just flies, and you're like, That's right, I'm good. I've got this. It, it, it gives you this false confidence. But every now and then I'll have a game where I go out there and I, I hit consistently. I'm doing good. And it start, I start to get this, this false confidence, right? I start to imagine myself. I come home and Steph goes, How was your day today? I was like, I'm amazing. <laughs> like, that, was, that was awesome. I start to think that I was, a, I was a good golfer out there. And then I go out and play with Terry. And I realize I'm not even mediocre. <laughs> But, but when I compare myself to people around me who aren't doing as good, I start getting this confidence thinking that I'm, I'm doing really good, especially if I outdrive them most of the time. Sorry, Mark, and I'm going to call you out now because you're the one person I can outdrive most of the time, <laughs> not every time. But uh, Mark's on my team. We come in last and we have fun. But if, like I said, if I go out with Pastor Terry or some other golfers uh, here at Creekside, who I've been on some of their teams as well, and sometimes I'm even thinking, they're, they're going to, they want to win, and I'm going to be the reason we lose this thing. They're going to have to be okay with me being okay with that, <laughs> that we're not going to win. I could start to get self-conscious watching how good they hit. Or that I lose seven or eight balls by the fifth hole, because they're going who knows where, and I'm not going to go hunting for them in, in the weeds. There's no illusions that I was a great golfer. I would see my skills for what they really are in that moment, right? Non existent. Now, I think that can be the same trap we fall into with our spiritual lives. If we compare ourselves to the people around us and we start looking at their failures and we start concluding that, you know what, our failures aren't quite as bad as their failures, so we're doing pretty good. We look at the good things and we conclude God must be pleased with me because I'm not as bad as that person. That's not poor in spirit. That's coming at it with pride. The problem is we are comparing our sin to other sin. We're comparing ourselves to the the mediocre golfers around us, right? It's only when we begin to focus on God and compare ourselves to him and the standard that he set that we start to understand how far we are from being anything of a good person. We really do need God in the first place. If we don't understand that we aren't good people without God, that's opposite of poor in spirit. I think this is a big step in becoming a Christ follower. This is why Jesus starts here in the Beatitudes. The first step, I think, of becoming a Christ follower is right there. It's understanding, it's becoming the poor in spirit, understanding that you do have this sin. You are not good enough. You are inadequate. But God loves you so much that he's not going to let that stop him from bringing you into his kingdom because of what he did for us. Unless we understand that we are hopelessly sinful, we begin to think that suddenly it's not so bad. Maybe we can do it on our own. Maybe we don't need Jesus. But Jesus says, when you feel that weight, when you understand the weight of sin, when you understand the depth and grace and joy of forgiveness, that moment, we're ready to turn to Jesus as our Savior. We know that it's not about us anymore. And this is not a one-time thing. This is not where you, you decide to follow Jesus, did it, and then you go back to your normal prideful, I'm better at golf than everybody ways. This is, this is something that underst- it cuts down to the core of who you are. It really starts to work in your life and starts to alter your attitude in many ways. The person who is truly starts to embrace this being poor in spirit understands there's no need to be prideful. There's no need to look down on other people. It's the kind of attitude that starts to characterize every aspect of your life. Galatians 5 calls this the fruits of the Spirit. When we understand the humility of following Christ and that we are nothing without him, it starts to change the way that we show love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those start to just emit from your life. And that is the example of God working in your heart. So how does this impact our life, though? I think when we embrace this being poor in spirit, when we embrace understanding that we are not enough, but he is, it makes us gentle in how we deal with those outside and inside the church. Because we recognize we're not better than them. What they're going through may be different than what you're going through, but we are not better. We simply have been forgiven because of God's grace. And this Tuesday, we will all have the opportunity to show humility. Whether you think it's a victory or whether you think it's a defeat, we all have the opportunity to look at somebody else and say, that's a child of God. They may vote differently than me, but God loves them just as much as he loves me. We have an opportunity to show humility there. It'll cause us to see ourselves as humble and not arrogant. I think that if we embrace this concept, if we embrace this lifestyle, then there's no ammunition to say that you're prideful, right? Or that you're better than anybody else. It allows others opportunity to ask you, how are you able to be calm during this situation? How are you able to to not promote yourself in this? How are you able to go through this the way that you do? And suddenly you have an opportunity to share Jesus with somebody because of, you could say, what he's doing in my life. It'll allow you to be open up to correction. I know that most people, not most people, some people, if someone says you're doing something wrong, the first reaction you have is not to go, my gosh, you are right. I am so wrong. I mean, I have to, I have to practice it a lot at home. And Stephanie tells me I'm wrong. that I have to make that the first thing that comes out of my mouth, right? You're right. I'm wrong. <laughs> but understanding this, being poor in spirit, it makes you open to correction. We realize that we're far from perfect and that others may see something that we don't. And we're able to apply that feedback. We're able to apply those thoughts and better ourselves in our walk and how we show the fruits of the Spirit to other people because we're ready to learn and to grow. I think it'll make us ready to extend grace to others because we get to tell them that we have had the ultimate grace in Jesus extended to us. It'll also keep us from trumpeting our own accomplishments because we find our value in how God views us, not in our accomplishments or how everybody else sees us. Proverbs 27.2 says this, Let someone else praise you, not your own mouth, an outsider, and not your own lips. When we embrace being poor in spirit, coming to God humbly, with humility, we have an opportunity to practice letting other people talk about you, and not you talking about you or yourself, or me talking about myself. And I love this last thing. I think it will cause us to try to point others to Jesus if we embrace knowing that that we're poor in spirit and we can't do it without him, we then have so many opportunities to share Jesus with other people. I know that people can see it in, in your life when you're really embracing God's grace in your heart. And the opportunity to share that with other people is so amazing. See, this Sermon on the Mount is the best sermon ever. It's it's timeless. It's influenced people for thousands of years. And it's hopefully it's going to be influencing us even today. But just as with this sermon, it's important to understand the big picture. Many people have failed to understand the, the Sermon on the Mount because they've forgotten how it begins. With a reminder, the basic reminder that almost sounds depressing. Unless we are poor in spirit, we're missing the point. We're going to miss out on the kingdom of heaven. Recognizing that we're a sinner in the hands of an incredibly loving father. Being poor in spirit means emptying yourself of all those self-righteous thoughts, all those self-righteous feelings, emptying ourselves of pride, of of any proud righteousness we may have, realizing we can't make ourselves happy. And anything in the world that makes us happy isn't the joy that God brings when we give our lives to him. So today, my challenge, our challenge, your challenge as we leave— is to change our focus. Try try changing your focus. Instead of focusing on the world and the people around you and comparing yourselves to them, instead of focusing on priorities that other people seem that may say are important, or you have to do this, the world says do this, you've got to do it, don't focus on those. Choose to focus on God's priorities instead. When we see God clearly, when we clearly focus on Him, it's almost impossible for us to think of ourselves in anything more than what we are. People who have been extended an amazing grace. An amazing grace from an incredible God that loves us more than we could imagine. And if we can keep that in our mind, it will change every aspect of your life. Do you all stand with me? Today as we close... I do want to give an invitation to any of you who maybe have uh, never decided to make Jesus the focus of your life. If you've never decided to say, you know, hey, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I, I really want to, I, I want to join this, this family of Christ followers. There's a nudge in your heart maybe. I want to encourage you today, don't leave today without talking to someone about it, without coming up and talking to me, talking to someone who maybe brought you to church today or a friend that you recognized when you walked in that has made that decision. There's something that just is pulling you if you've never said, I don't know, if you've never said, I know Jesus, the one who gave his life for me so that I could live eternally with him, don't leave today without taking that step. I invite you today to let him in. And if you do, do make that decision, come share it with me. I would love to celebrate with you. If you're online today, there's a button you can click that says, you can raise your hand and there's people that can pray with you there. Click on that, connect with somebody. Have someone pray with you. Have someone celebrate with you that decision if you're making it today. But if you have a nudge, don't leave here without having a conversation first. I love this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. When we understand God, when we understand his humility, and we understand our sin, we can understand being poor. Come to him humbly and let him love you the way that he wants to love you. Amen. God, we come before you today and, and I ask for everybody here, God, that and as we leave here today, we don't look to compare ourselves to the world. We don't look to our own accomplishments. God, we look to you. We look, to our, we look at ourselves and we say, what, what is a way that I'm being prideful? What is a way that I'm putting something in front of my walk with you? And we're able to push that aside and say, God, I focus on you instead. God, I focus on what you have for me. I focus on being less of me and letting myself become more like you. God I know it's not easy but you're here with us for every step of the way so God with that we thank you we love you and everybody said Amen